Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Hamm. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast. I am James Hamm. Joining me today on this, this delayed podcast, Mr. Jerry Reynolds, the one and only Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, we were supposed to do this podcast earlier in the week. I was actually going to get you on the ride home from San Francisco uh, when we were in studio, but of course we had torrential downpour and 60-mile-an-hour winds, and I didn't think it would be appropriate for us to sit there and podcast while driving. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, and, you know, this is it's a different world for you now with CSN. A little bit different, yeah, you know, getting to do the uh... – the studio show uh, occasionally. I think it's been been a lot of fun. Uh, very, uh, you know, educational for me. Uh, learning how to do it. And uh, I might say I was really glad we didn't do the podcast while you were driving home. Uh, <laughs> uh, or, or, or they might be having a memorial service for both of us of some type. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been been a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, working with Jim Cosmore and yourself, and uh, just a little different way of uh, looking at the Kings and. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. <laughs> we had one of those not-so-goods on Wednesday night when the, the Kings fell to the Miami Heat. Um, for those people who are confused out there, why don't you explain not anything about the Miami Heat, but what's going on where Doug is doing some studio and you're doing some studio and Doug's doing some telecast and you're doing... Just so people know, you're not going anywhere. This is just a temporary thing, right? Yeah, it's uh, you know something that uh, I think the... Uh, our employers uh, wanted uh, to try some, and uh, obviously, as employees, <laughs> we, it's up to us to uh, to adjust. And I'm certainly in favor of it. It uh, gives me some different experiences, gives Doug some different experiences. So I think it's it's very good for both of us. Hopefully, uh, you know the uh, Kings fans enjoy it. All right, and it's only ten games, right? I mean, throughout yeah, the whole season. Yeah, ten games. Uh, We've got uh, five more, I think, in late March. Doug's doing uh, three in late March and then a couple in early April. So, uh, you know, it definitely, uh, you know, like I said, it, it, it certainly saved me a couple of road trips, which I'm always thankful for. So it's, <laughs> you know, and and like I say, hopefully uh, Doug enjoys it, uh, the, the change a little bit. Uh, you know, like I say, I do. There it is. You know, and I, I want to bring it up because I know a lot of fans are panicking. And, and people, Jerry's not going anywhere. Everyone loves Jerry. Uh, but it's something that I know a lot of people, like, hit me up on Twitter. What's going on? How come, you know, this is happening or that's not happening? Um, it's just uh, it's it's mixing it up a little bit for a, a small bit of the season. And, and we'll be back to normal programming starting this week, I assume. Uh, so, Jerry, let's get to basketball. This has been a... A roller coaster ride for not just I think for everyone for Kings fans for for the players for the coaching staff for the for ownership who's got this brand new building they got to sell tickets to what do you make of this team that can one night you know take on a, a decent Denver Nuggets team on the road and beat them and then come back home the next night and lay just a gigantic egg against a team that came in 10 10 and 26 and missing a bunch of players from the roster yeah, well, it, it certainly is interesting. I mean, this this team this year certainly is consistently inconsistent, and uh, last night uh, proved that. You know, I I think the the problem I've seen with this team all year is they they think they're better than they are. Uh, you know, it's like, well, this is a team when they when they really understand they got to play hard and compete. They're good enough to beat anybody just about and they're good enough to win you know a lot more than they're winning right now but we don't see that all the time because i do think that as a team they they get their idea that well the miami heat they're not any good well no they're they're not a real good team but but they're professionals they're nba players and if they bring their best game and you don't 
<laughs> they can beat you. And, uh, you know, we've, we've seen that too much. And I, I think this, this, this team has got to understand that they need to, you know, they need to really play their best and, and uh, play together in order to have a successful season. And if they do, they can. You know, we're watching this unfold, and we're 35 games in. You've been a head coach. You've been a general manager. You've been a director of player personnel. You've worn every hat known to man. How long does it usually take for a new coaching staff and so many new players to meld into into something that you can actually say this is this maybe is who they are? Because I I still don't think 35 games in, I know who this team is exactly. Well, I, I certainly don't. I agree with you. I, I do think, you know, you see different, uh, it evolved differently in different circumstances. You know, I, I've always thought, quite honestly, that probably 20 games is is usually you got some idea. Now, in this particular case, uh, I don't think we do, but we, but I think we should. And, and I think it's, uh, you know, some of the some of the issues maybe we we talked talked about. Certainly, there's a lot of new players and new coaching staff, but, uh, you know, geez, uh, like you say, 35 games in the preseason, uh, we, we should have a better idea, you know, and I, I think, uh, players, coaches, everybody's there, there's some blame to fall everywhere. You know, Jerry, I've been asked the last couple of days, sort of a strange question. And I look at people like, are you crazy? But I'll ask you the same question because for some reason people want to know this. But do you think it's a good thing for this team to make the playoffs this year? Or do you think it's better for them to maybe wait one more year before they try to push and, and try to do, you know, make this second season of the NBA? Uh, I, for one, I don't really understand the question, but I'm posing it to you because, uh, again, there's people out there who actually think the Kings might be better off keeping their draft pick and and, and trying to continue to build this thing. Well, I, I would answer it this way. I, I mean, I, I certainly think it's better to make the playoffs. I think it's always better to make the playoffs because, uh, and until you do make the playoffs, uh, you haven't. <laughs> you know, I mean, and <laughs> there's no such thing as uh, ever being a contending type team uh, until you make the playoffs and then build from there. You know, uh, we go back years and years ago when the Kings really started becoming a good team in 1998, 99. And it was barely a 500 team, a little over 500. And that team changed dramatically during its, you know, as it got better. And that 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 would be what I would hope for this this team to make the playoffs, make some trades, free agents, drafts, all that, and and then the team will get better from there. And but to get the playoff experience itself, it, it means a lot to the. I think to the franchise, to the team, and then the other part, the 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 draft pick stuff. It's like if people could tell me exactly how good that draft pick's going to be, then I might feel differently. But experience tells me, obviously, that being in the lottery or any draft pick, it's a crapshoot. Uh, uh, many aren't that good, and uh, some are. And even if it's a good pick, how many years before it really? impacts your team i've always said uh, generally speaking a trade or free agent is going to impact your team immediately more than any draft pick unless you know you get super super lucky you know that brings me i guess to my next question would be this team we're, we're seeing what they are right now and we've already discussed we're baffled slightly with who they who and what they are but when you decide that this isn't the right mix and you know be it a Rudy Gay trade or one of the other many players that they have that could be available via trade. How, how shocking and jarring is that for a team when you're on the inside, when all of a sudden someone is gone and a new group is brought in and how long does it take usually, you know, for you to balance out and kind of get back to the business of basketball and playing, or should it just be like a snap? Hey, we got a new piece. Let's, let's run. Well, I think if it's if it's the right piece, uh, it it can happen immediately. You know, it can be if it's a trade that needs to be made or you know fits fits what you want. Uh, it doesn't take long, and and I think if I'm bloody divots, that's what I'm looking at. You know, obviously you want to make a trade to make the team better. So 
so you know the 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 existing players will pick up on that they they know this team isn't a finished product by any stretch and they understand how the league works and and in some cases that they themselves would like to be moved to another team for a different opportunity maybe a different and better circumstance for them personally so I, i i would never you know if this was a you know, if this was the Golden State Warriors or San Antonio Spurs, uh, well, yeah, you, you'd, you'd really want to be concerned about that. But I don't believe that's quite the situation here. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, I think you better, uh, really better be looking at saying, hey, let's let's see if we can shake this thing up a little bit and add to it, you know. And I, I always remember, like, say, the, the year that Jeff Petrie uh, traded uh, Corliss Williamson for Doug Christie. For instance, now of course, it's a heck of a player, and uh, and so is Doug. But it was a good trade for both teams, and uh, and and basically, ever I think both teams would say they they adjusted immediately, and and it was good for them. And so I think that's uh, that's where I'd look at it. It's like hey, this, this is a, a a work in progress for sure, and uh, needs to be treated as that. When you talk about that trade, I'll go back a little bit further beyond that. And the Walt Williams for Billy Owens deal is something that the Kings had, I think they'd lost seven in a row. They were trying to make their way to the playoffs in the 95-96 season. Right. Uh, And and things were going well, and then all of a sudden the wheels fell off the bus. And and Jeff made, uh, if I'm not mistaken, made a trade. Uh, to deal for uh, was it Kevin Gamble and and uh, Billy Owens using, and Billy Owens yeah yeah using Walt Williams and that trade sort of shook everything and I, yeah I, boy that's a great point you know I, I forgot about that but but it really is true and and you know it's one of those things that was good for Miami Walt really went down there and kind of perked them up and you know and the Kings really got some value out of gamble not just billy owens and and billy was very good for that team for that year you know it didn't last forever but uh you know uh it's one of those things that you know kind of shook the team up a little bit and and made it better and, and uh made the playoffs and it was made made for a very exciting year so yeah that's a that's an excellent point and, and that's what you're looking for i mean uh and i think that's what this team should be looking for is uh moves that uh you know, may not necessarily be a better player. You know, it's just a better fit, a better mix. A better player, uh, you're right. I mean, I, you're not going to get dollar-for-dollar dollar value for Rudy Gay. I think everyone understands that. he's He's got an opt-out after this year, and he can walk out and just be a, a three-month rental. What do you think his value is? If you were if you were sitting in the driver's seat, are you looking for a young player that that maybe has three or four years left on his deal, and you're trading sort of a better piece for some future? Are you? What would you look for if you were specifically looking to move a player like Rudy Gay? I, I would be looking for a you know a young player that's maybe got a couple of years in the league, two or three years in the league that that you believe, and you need to be right on this that that there's their upsides getting ready to, to unfold, so to speak, and uh, that you're going to get some good, you know, get some of the good parts of them that maybe be stuck behind somebody, uh, you know, on another team or hasn't really emerged yet, but you think will given the opportunity. And, uh, you know, and I think you, you could really come out ahead on that. And, and now if you can get that, or if you could get, you know, a, a a first round pick that you feel like uh, in, in what could be a pretty good draft could give you good help. And, a, and it wouldn't have to be a lottery pick, but I think, if, you know, if somewhere in the 15 to 20 area, I, I think you could, that uh, could work as well as a, maybe a, a, a kind of a fit in player. But uh, so I think there's a lot of opportunities. And, and I think that, that, uh, you know, for teams that want Rudy know that he is a, you know, near star or star type guy. And then I know there's teams that like him on that basis. So, so there's, you know, there's value for Rudy, uh, but you're not going to get a proven, you know, 26, seven year old guy near star back at this stage because of the contractual circumstances. All right. So Jerry, I'm going to ask a question that I I think every fan sits back and says why why in the world jerry 
Is there a February 23rd trade deadline and every team in the league seems to wait until February 22nd, February 23rd at 11.59 to make a deal? Why isn't there more movement earlier in the season, especially since the All-Star break and the trade deadline, they're not at the midway point. They're more at like the, the 30 games or even 25 games left in the season mark. What I mean, it it really is a mistake. I, I couldn't. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. Is why wait till the last minute? If a trade is a good deal, a good trade to make January the fifth, then make it on January the fifth. But uh, you know, I, I know from experience, getting getting other teams sometimes to pull the trigger on the very trade they'll they'll make a move on finally. You know, a month later. Uh, you know, it's just amazing to me. I don't know why teams don't do it because, as you said, anymore you 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 really don't have a whole lot of time left. It'd be make much more sense to make those trades say now, and you know let the players adjust a little bit before the All Star break, and then uh, and then if they can help you, and if you're fighting for for playoff spot, it really gives you. Uh, you know, better, better opportunities. And I mean, it's just one of those things that has always bugged me in the same way about the, around the uh, draft deadline, you know, teams will make, make, uh, talk to each other forever and ever. And then something makes sense regarding picks or players. And then they'll wait till right day of the draft with all kinds of things on it. And in my mind, if it's a good trade for you and, and they think it's a good trade for them, uh, why wait? It's one of the more baffling things that happens in the NBA. All right, I, I'm going to finish up with this. There, The other baffling thing that, that goes on in the NBA is for some reason someone along the way thought, oh, let's get the fans in, involved in all-star voting. And we're seeing the early returns come in today, and Zaza Pochula has, I think he has twice as many uh, votes as uh, as DeMarcus Cousins he actually has as many votes as I think it's like Anthony Davis and Lamarcus Aldridge and like three <laughs> other guys combined. Um, why why would you do this to your players? Where you allow uh, such a strange system that involves you know the internet and potential for uh, for you know computer bots to go in and, and give a bunch of votes and, and all of these other things that happen? Why do you think the NBA still does this? I don't know why. I know they shouldn't. You know, I mean, really, it, it's just, it's embarrassing. You know, and I, I think if you want to let the fans vote, and, and I think there's reasons you might want to do that, but, but it almost ought to be like, you know, voting in a regular election. There ought to be some real controls of it to where you can't possibly vote more than once, and you need to be identified, that sort of thing, so that you don't have these this ballot stuffing or some players that have no business being even getting any votes, <laughs> potentially <laughs> being on the team. I mean, no disrespect to Zaza, but, uh, you know, he is not an all-star NBA player by any stretch. And he'd be the first probably to tell you that. And, uh, no, I know baseball kind of found out that the hard way a little bit first, but I, I do, I, I think the commissioner silver and them, and they've got to come up with a, a better plan quick. I, I know getting the players to vote, I think is a good, good idea. And I mean, personally, as a fan, as well as working in the business, I, I, I would personally like to just see the players and coaches and, uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe media, but, but really the, the <laughs> players and players and coaches were the only ones to vote on it. And general managers, I, I'd be fine with that. You know, there is uh, an argument that Scott Howard Cooper always brings up that he doesn't believe that media should be voting for for all stars. They shouldn't be voting for uh, MVPs because then the media is directly tied to someone's ability to make more money, uh, which is which is a valid point. So so I'm with you on that. I'm I'm okay not getting a vote and having to uh, to pass judgment on whether DeMarcus Cousins deserves to be an all-star, even though he's averaging 29 points and 11 rebounds per game. So, Jerry, I, I don't want to keep you all day, uh, but I just want to say it's a joy to ride down to San Francisco with you. Uh, it's been a, a great time. Uh, you know, it's sort of James and Jerry in the car, and uh, I'm looking forward to the few dates that we have left, but 
you're not going anywhere. We're we're holding tight to Jerry Reynolds for as <laughs> long as we can possibly do it. Uh, and just to take care of a little bit of business, the second part of the podcast is pre-recorded from a few days ago. Uh, again, it became an inclement weather issue that caused us to delay, uh, but you'll get some Aaron Brewski talk here in a few minutes. Um, but Jerry, thanks so much for coming on. We'll, we'll, well talk soon. Well, 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 thank you, James. And I, I enjoy those rides uh, probably more than you do. It's really, it really has been fun and looking forward to them. And, uh, like I say, it's forward to kind of doing some things different and, and, uh, maybe this, uh, Maybe this Kings team will will find its way. There is time, and but boy, I tell you what, that that one last night, uh, my drive home uh, was not pleasant. <laughs> I ended up staying at the stadium until almost one o'clock in the morning, and maybe a little after one o'clock, talking to uh, to our good friends Jason Jones from the Sacramento Bee and Sean Cunningham <laughs> from News Ten, just because it's it's stunning, it's jarring when you see a team that that overlooks a team like this and uh, just absolutely stunning. So, well, we hope for better things, right? Well, yes, we hope does spring eternal, but uh, it better uh, eternal better happen a little quicker here. That's right. All right, the incomparable Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, James. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast, brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Ham. Joining me in the talkback portion, Mr. Aaron Broski of hoopdashball.com. AB, happy, happy, happy New Year's. Yeah, happy New Year to yourself and to everybody over at CSN and to all the Kings fans and I guess the non-Kings fans that are listening to the podcast. It's a great year already. It's day one of my diet. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling spry. I'm ready to do this. I hate diets. I, You know, I, I really... I watch what I eat, but I don't. I don't like to diet, and I, I would prefer just to exercise. Um, but I haven't been doing a good job on that either. I, and I also, Aaron, I don't. I told you last week, I, I don't really buy into New Year's resolutions because you never stick with them. So I, I've always been like, well, I'm not going to even do them. So, do you have any New Year's resolutions? Uh, no, just to stop eating like a slob. That, that's number one. And and it's not even really a New Year's resolution. It's more kind of like I can't avoid the food on Christmas and Thanksgiving. So I, one of these years, I'm going to make it through the November, December part of the, the schedule without losing progress. But I eat the same way I have for the last three years. And uh, those who saw me prior to that can attest to the weight loss. Um, but yeah, so it just it, it screws with me when I get to the first of the year. I generally say, okay, enough with the Christmas eating. I'm going back to the carb-free diet, and I get back into the exercise where I'll be swimming. And I got an underwater iPod, so I'm thrilled to try this thing out. An underwater iPod? That sounds that sounds like intriguing. I didn't even know they still made iPods. I, I I'm gonna try it. We'll see if I electrocute myself. <laughs> If, if I'm available <laughs> for next week's podcast, or, or you know, who knows? Maybe I'll listen to some of our old podcasts while doing some laps. It'll it, it'll be interesting one way or another. There you go. Well, you got to find an indoor pool because it's cool. It's nice and cool. I'm. Uh, it's been snowing off and on at my house, but uh, I'm. I've been waiting for the temperature drop. I need. I need like a good three degree temperature drop, and then a nice storm to come through. It, and it, right now, it looks like it's getting dark, and I'm hoping. And, and praying for a little bit of snow. I, I love the snow. I grew up in the snow, and I, I love it when it, it comes, even though at my house it, it'll snow, and then it'll be gone like the next day, maybe two days, and that's all you get. But still, it's still fun to play in. All right, so Aaron, let's get to, uh, let's get to some Sacramento Kings talk. So we covered a lot of things last week, uh, including potential trades and, and a lot of other things. But I think we're going to touch base on some of that. We're also... I, you know what, I, I listened to um, The Vertical, just a, a little tiny snippet of Wojnarowski talking about George Carl. Are you surprised at uh, the way that that people are going at George at this point? Or is this like you opened up Pandora's box, George? Yeah, I think he, he has been uh, working the media for years. And, you know, with that kind of messy game comes, I'm sure... A lot of folks that haven't been thrilled with the way that he's played that game. So a lot of those folks are opening fire. But, you know, he doesn't really have a lot to offer, you know, potential sources or, or probably media outlets anymore. And I think when he's out there doing this silly stuff, 
that it's there's, there's just no no fear in the media anymore. Everybody's just opening fire. You know, the, the George Carl supporters are far and few between. Um, and, and it's been just a, a an ugly week, I think, for him. And it's real interesting that it's quiet, you know, here locally. You know, the George Carl supporters really haven't been out there beating the drum for George Carl, you know, saying that he should have stayed with the organization or that he would be the coach of the future for this team or that, you know, he would be, you know, that he's done a great job and that everybody let him down. Nobody's saying that locally anymore. So I found that extremely interesting this past week. Um, but it is what it is. You know, I think everybody's tired of George Carl. I'm tired of George Carl. I'm tired of talking about it. Um, you know, he kind of gets into the news cycle uh, with some new bombastic statement and, and then everybody's got to talk about it. But one thing I would like to point out, I want to see everybody connect the dots between the George Carl era and how this team was covered here locally. And, and really, you know, some of this stuff that that's been part of the dysfunction of the last three to four years, you know, with the prior regime, uh, that stuff has really left a mark. I mean, you saw Isaiah Thomas go for what, 52 the yeah. other day? Yeah, 29 52. in the fourth quarter. And and there was only a handful of voices that were really out there on the front line saying, hey, no, this guy can really play. You yeah, know, you, I you never understood whatever. it. Yeah, I never understood it. And I, I know a lot of us went at the Kings for that. But, um, yeah, there was a, 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 a group of people that were also anti that just didn't see it. Yeah. Oh, we've so hashed think, over. We've hashed over Isaiah many, oh, yeah, many no, times. Oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> you asked me about you asked me about Carl though in the media. I, yeah. I think that that I think what you see with that is kind of how storylines get away from cities. You know, with the Kings, it's always been you know just real intriguing. And I think some some of that's going on here with the shooting guard talk mm-hmm. as well. Is is these ideas they 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 emanate from somewhere, whether that's at the top or you know from whoever. And then they get put out there for consumption. And the next thing you know, Isaiah Thomas is a backup. You know, next thing you know, player X is somebody that the Kings should go after. Player Y is somebody that the Kings should go after. Or maybe they don't believe that what they have in their own backyard is good enough to hold down a starting position. So I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk some shooting guards. So we should have at that. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's have at that. Now, I, I'm going to like, for my money, I don't think anyone that I know of, I mean, certainly not myself, not uh not dave yeager has said that they don't believe that garrett temple is can can hold down the starting shooting guard spot like i i've had moments where i i don't like that that he has range issues but i know that yeager what yeager has repeatedly said is i really like him with that second unit and when you look at ty lawson at five foot eleven and you know and that's a generous five eleven if you look at that as one issue that he's playing alongside an undersized point guard, um, you know that he's not playing with, you know maybe the greatest defensive second team that there that there has been. I, I think it kind of makes sense, but again, I, I've always been of the opinion that Dave Yeager is going to do his rotations no matter what, and it doesn't really matter what I say or write. Um, that every coach is going to do that exact thing. I don't think most head coaches pander to the media when it comes to who they start and who they don't. What I've seen is that Jaeger isn't sure who to put in that first eight minutes of the game and the first eight minutes of the second half. So 16 minutes of the game. And I, I think he's pretty confident that Garrett Temple can hold down for 26 to 32 minutes, but he's not comfortable with whatever is happening, be it Ben McLemore, Aaron Aflalo. Um, and now it, it does appear that Malachi Richardson is going to get a look, although I'm going to be honest with people. Dave Yeager said some of these things before, and then um, he cools down like a day later, and he goes away from it. So just because he said it doesn't mean that Malachi Richardson is going to start on on Tuesday night against the Denver Nuggets and play 24 minutes or something. I think it's it's a fluid situation. But I don't know, Aaron. Like I'm not uncomfortable with Garrett Temple playing 30-plus minutes tonight. Um, and I just know the reality is that Dave Yeager's not going to start him, at least not right now. At least that's what Yeager said to this point. So you just kind of have to roll with what he's saying. And, and I know that might sound, I, I just, ex, you know, I, I look at it as almost like a truism. It, it, he's going to be with the second unit because Dave Yeager plays him with the second unit and says he's going to continue to play with the second unit. So while I could sit here and lambast him for that, 
I mean, it's his win-loss record, and he, he knows his team better than I. Well, I mean, I think there's some misdirection here when, when we talk about second unit. I mean, I don't think anybody would be anti-Garrett Temple playing with the second unit. The number that everybody is looking at is 24.4 minutes per game. And the other number that everybody's looking at is a minus 0.4 net rating, which is good for third on the team. And it's not really close compared to the next player on that list. He's almost going to pass DeMarcus Cousins for the best or second best net rating on the team. And everybody's trailing everybody's favorite get out of town guy, Rudy Gay. Um, (laughs) So 24 minutes a game, you know, when you look at the guys that are getting minutes, the Matt Barneses, the Aaron Aflalos, who's no longer getting minutes, but you know, and on down the list, these guys have net ratings that are nowhere near what uh, Garrett Temple's net. So it's, it's a minutes issue. It's not a, a, which unit do you start with issue? And Here's the other thing you have right now, Darren Collison struggling with the two uh, big lineup, which if you flip flop him and Ty Lawson, Ty will have the same problems that he had early in the year. So it really, to me, doesn't matter who starts or who doesn't start between those two guys. They're both going to struggle with two big men clogging the paint. But Garrett Temple becomes a facilitator in that lineup and can help move the ball. So I would personally prefer to see him start for, for the Kings if um, you do move Malachi in to the first unit, uh, that's going to be fine as well. The only problem there is he's going to then have to defend frontline uh, twos, and he might be better off defending reserves off of the bench. But either way, Ben McLemore, unfortunately, you know, with all of the chances that he's received, has uh, not looked good, and, and he's gumming it up on both sides of the floor. And so I think when, what we saw with Malachi – in his first real minutes with a game in question, he went out there and he didn't do anything too crazy, you know, as far as being out of place or, you know, there was one time where I thought he could have gotten on the floor a little bit quicker, but you know, as far as a essentially a rookie in his first real action, he did just fine. And then offensively, he looks like he's ahead already of where Ben's at. So I don't think you're losing anything by replacing Ben's minutes with Malachi's minutes. The question just becomes, I think for this Kings team and Garrett temple, why 24.4? Why not 34.4? He's one of these guys that we can pick the flaws in his offensive game, but he's not. He's not making the Kings worse offensively when he's out there. You'd like to see him hit a few more shots, but he's also shooting at a very good clip. It's, you know, shooters do miss shots. Um, You know, the Kings offensive issues. I don't think you point at Garrett Temple and you say, oh, he's the reason that the Kings have offensive issues. There's there's a lot uh, bigger and better targets if you want to look at that. Yeah, and I I think, I mean, whether it's 34 or it's 26 or it's 28 minutes, I think Temple is heading in that direction. I I haven't looked at what he's averaging over his last eight games or whatever it is, but I think what you're doing with Malachi, if you do put him into the starting lineup, is you're just trying to get the game off to a start, and you're trying to you know get guys cutting and in the flow. The thing I'd really like about him is he has a moxie that – Unfortunately, Ben Maxmore uh, Ben Macklemore doesn't have, and that is that he attacks on the offensive end, and he doesn't care if you if you holler or scream at him about shots. He is a dude who plays without a conscience, and I almost think that 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 first unit really does have to have that player. But I think it really does come down to the thing that you said in the beginning. Like I, I kept looking at why is Darren Collison struggling so much, and is it? I know a little bit it of it is because like a negative vibe around Darren and he's really taken sort of what's happened to him this year and, and all of the, you know, the negativity that happened this off season with the suspension and the, you know, the arrest and all that he's taken that to heart and it's taken a huge toll on him. And like, I've even had tried to have conversations like, look, you know, you got to try to find yourself and get back in here. It's like, no one is in here waiting to, to ask you questions about that anymore. No, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable for him. And you feel like Darren Collison to me, he feels uncomfortable in his own skin. And I feel for him because of that. But I'm also going to say this. I, I really do think it comes down to the too big issue. It, I think Darren is struggling to find his way exactly the same way that Ty was struggling to find his way. The second you put either of them with the second unit and there's no longer two bigs on the floor, the whole thing opens up. And I even, honestly, I think Costa Kufis has 
it is more effective and better with the second unit without Cousins on the floor. I think it's it's almost completely proven. Now, does Jaeger have someone he's comfortable with to put at the, the power forward spot? And I think that maybe is the biggest problem. He doesn't. He doesn't have someone he's comfortable with as a starter next to Cousins. You know, he likes what Anthony Taller's brought the last couple of weeks, the last week and a half with his three-point shooting. Um, Willie Cauley-Stein, you can put him out there for a couple of minutes, but really he he looks so incredibly lost. And and not only that, but I think the motor is is something that people are questioning big time, and that's never a good thing. So you need him to come out and play really well. And, you know, no one has stepped up and said, give me that time. And so he keeps deferring back to guys like Matt Barnes. And I don't think that's really helping this team either. So there's some work that has to be done here. I just don't know, you know, if Jaeger is going to be defiant and and continue to go with that lineup, I think winning four games in a row sort of says, look, maybe we got, we got over the hump and now we've got to figure it out. And I think we all know that they won four games in a row, but they were all really tightly contested. And some of those teams weren't very good at all. And so you're still, you're waiting for that moment where you get to see this team kind of break loose. But the the point guard position to me, I don't think it matters who's there. I think you could trade for, name that point guard. And, you know, the guy we talked about last week, uh, Brandon Knight, uh, again, I, his name keeps popping up. I think you can trade for Brandon Knight and you're not going to get much in, uh, anything else because they don't know how to play with that lineup. No one yeah. can figure out the puzzle. Absolutely. And, and you know, with Brandon Knight, I'm with each passing week, I get more concerned that he's lost his fastball um, on both sides of the floor just in general. And, uh, you know, so I, I would throw up a little bit of a red flag there if you're looking at him for, you know, some sort of a trade. I don't know if he's an improvement over either of the point guards at this point. I think he's, uh, yeah, uh, th- he's a guy who needs a, chain of, a change of scenery. I think that's what we're seeing at this point. I'm yeah, not sure I'm, that he lost his I'm, fastball, but I mean, he played 15 minutes combined over the last two games for them. It, it, but the, and the thing is there though, is he's still struggling when on the floor there. And it's, it's not all entirely the fit. It's it, something with him is not clicking right now. Um, you hope that he can get it back, but, and, and I think we did this last time. I don't, we'll, we'll, we'll skip the, yeah, the, the talk there, the but, but the, the bigger, I know, right. <laughs> the big thing here is the two big lineup because the, the problem that plagues the Kings and, you know, captain obvious here is the inconsistency. So they win four straight and then they're looking at a big Portland game tiebreaker, you know, involved. And then they just lay an egg because they have no consistency on offense. They, 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 once they lose their consistency on offense, then everything kind of falls apart from there. Against Memphis, you know, Darren Collison went under on, I think, every single one of Mike Conley's threes. And and, and for that matter, so did Garrett Temple, just so you know. Garrett Temple yeah, went was under that almost skip- every single time. I asked Garrett Temple about it. He said they tried to mix it up with Conley going under and over. Most of the time they are going under. Um, I, I mean, sitting with Doug Christie, sitting there like yelling, stop going under. You're killing. I mean, you gave up 17 three-pointers. That's the, the most in their franchise history. I mean, 17 makes. I, I don't recall Temple going under, but I did recall uh, Collison going under, like, really, really poorly. Like, there was no no way that you should ever go under in that situation. And so I wondered if that was schematic or if that was just an instinctual thing. Maybe, you know, that's the way that he used to play Mike Conley. But Mike Conley, you don't play him like that. And so that was – so the consistency issue – the, in the Memphis game, I thought that the offense settled down probably about the second, third quarter where you started to see DeMarcus get in the post. But this one-on-one stuff on the perimeter with Cousins in you know the Philadelphia game, in the Portland game, and not having the consistency. Uh, Matt Barnes has been a big, big, big problem with that. It, they need to find this rotation and and just settle on it but when you got the two bigs issue there you're not gonna get any sort of consistency out of your starting point guard and that to me is it's the guy that sets the table that's the one that's supposed to tell demarcus hey demarcus go get in the post it's you know we've had three straight possessions where we haven't gotten anything and these live ball turnovers or clanky sort of shots where somebody's falling down or the shot's out of position or you don't have rebounders underneath the hoop all that stuff it culminates 
in bad defense. And so how are they going to get this consistency? And okay, hey, maybe you're not comfortable with your power forwards, but you can probably eke enough minutes out of Anthony Tolliver at the four and and try to separate Cousins and Kufus to the point where maybe they're only playing a handful of minutes together. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think it goes beyond this, we don't have a power forward discussion. I mean, you could play, and when he's healthy, Rudy Gay at the four. You could play Omri Caspi at the four. You can find ways to to make Kufus and Cousins split up, but that's just not happening. And the Temple thing, you can't play this guy 24.4. What I'm seeing here is a repeat of the Isaiah Thomas stuff. The, the For whatever reason, you, you guys in Sacramento, you guys in Sacramento have an asset that costs very little money. And that asset went out and shut down James Harden. That asset went down and shut down CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard and has been doing it against the league's best players. So maybe don't focus on that position. You know, you got that one. You got a nice price per value thing going on there. Start to focus on the other spots. You know, small forward, power forward, point guard. You know, when you get a position locked up at a great value, it's not time to, you know, try to find. I, I saw Kyle Corver stuff coming through the pipeline. I mean, Corver could barely play in the beginning of the year this year. It, it, so I just wonder. Corver's Sacramento, 35. I haven't seen I anything on Corver. Who would want it? Who? I mean, I, unless honestly, you're the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, why would you trade for Kyle Corver? And I mean, you're only doing that because J.R. Smith's out for I, in, in this league where perimeter defenders, like Tony Allen, you know, perimeter defenders are really hard to come by, like really good ones. And to get one that can handle a little bit, that can shoot a little bit, that's not a complete zero on offense – that's rare. You know, you, you, you got it. And especially for a team with such heavy usage out of the center and the, and the small forward positions when Gay's in there, I, I just, to me, I, I, I look at this and I go, can Sacramento get out of its own way at the shooting guard position? Uh, it's an issue, but at the same time, I, I can also see why everyone looks at it and starts shaking their head because when you start a game and it's four on five, you know, I, I don't know where you filter somebody in. You have to have someone step forward and say, I can do the position. I can play the position. And I think, again, with Malachi, a lot of people thought he was pretty ready to come in just because he has a personality to come in and hang. And then when you look at his specs, he's 6'6". He's got a 7-foot wingspan. And, you know, he can really get long on you. I think I think he's got a shot to be the future at the shooting guard spot. And and if nothing else, at least a really good backup. And the Kings just need to bring him along. I, I mean, but I think guess we could say the same about, you know, Scowl and Papianis. You know, maybe it, there's going to come a point where if they aren't in the eight seed, if they aren't real close to it, which for some reason they're still hovering, they, they still own the eight seed right now. It's just absolutely remarkable. But they just keep hovering right there. And once you get past either you're way up on it or you're you're out of it, then we're either going to see the rookies play or we're going to see them not play at all. And so I, I don't know when that's coming, but I think letting Malachi play is the first step to saying, okay, look, Aflalo didn't work. Macklemore didn't work. Um, we love what Temple's doing in this group, and we're not going to upset that. We're just going to have to figure this out, especially when Temple, at this point, is probably going to have to play a little bit of point guard unless Ty, Ty Lawson can shake off the broken face and and play on Tuesday and Wednesday against uh, the Nuggets and the Heat. thing on this is I, I almost feel like the shooting guard position is not even something to worry about for the Kings. And I know that's, okay, sent you know at me or whatever, but like I think Malachi is ready for 10 to 15 minutes and he, his size-speed combo, he looks way way quicker than I think he looked, at, looked like on film coming out of Syracuse. He he's got I, I think a chance and and he, he's going to get picked on on defense. Don't get me wrong. Like now that teams if he's in the rotation they know okay hey Malachi Richardson's in the game he will get targeted on defense and it's going to be ugly there for a little bit. But ten to fifteen minutes, you know thirty five minutes for for Garrett Temple. I would not worry about the two position if I was a Kings fan. Where I start to get worried for you guys is at the three where Matt Barnes is playing twenty five minutes a game 
And I mean, it, sometimes, I and mean, he had played a little bit better in this last game, but sometimes it looks like every possession, offense, defense, back and forth, he is having a, a critical failure, whether it's a turnover on offense, whether it's a bad read, whether defensively it's a bad read or a bad action. I mean, it is, it is absolutely killing them. And so I go, all right, well, you know, who would you plug in if you had the choice? I think you can stretch out Rudy Gay. You can stretch out Omri Caspi. And even Aaron Aflalo as a backup three, I think, has value for the Kings. But it's thin there. And if you if you do some patchwork at the four with Anthony Tolliver, I think you can get by, even if you do trade Rudy Gay. You know, I think there's enough pieces there. But those are the positions that I think the Kings should be looking at. Because right now, I mean, Matt Barnes, Unless he has a major change of, of performance when this rib injury heals up, I, I don't see how he can even be on the floor right now. And and you know, no offense to him, you know, at his age at 36, many a better player have fallen off at age 36. Um, but that is the the biggest uh, detriment right now to the Kings winning. Yeah, I'm I'm shocked that Jaeger went back to Barnes with a big lineup with Costa and DeMarcus all of a sudden because Rudy's out he's going to Barnes again I would have liked to have seen Caspi get an opportunity there and then the other night you know in uh in the loss uh I can't even remember who they played the other night um but which one Memphis yeah 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 uh Caspi played five minutes and I thought Caspi was just fine in his five minutes but the everything went in the tank with that second unit so quickly, it was like, what in the world just happened? The game was over, like, boom. And so I guess you, you can blame certain people, but I, I don't know. I didn't see it as a huge failure on on Omri Caspi. Now, look, I, there's still tweaks. They still have to learn how to play with each other. And and even, guys, I, I, uh, I talked to Omri about this the other day, but I was noticing, you know, Caspi likes to shoot his three from the top of the key. And he's got very few opportunities this year to shoot from the top of the key. I mean, he's still shooting, let's see, Caspi's still shooting 39.3% from three, but he's not shooting nearly as many as he was before. And I'm watching film, and a lot of it is because in the high post offense, Cousins isn't standing at the elbow. He's standing about two steps closer to the three-point line. So when Caspi comes off trying to get a, a screen and then a pick and pop right at the, at the top of the uh, the arc, Cousins isn't deep enough. So when Caspi gets the ball, there's two guys standing right next to him already. And so now we got to start all over. They just haven't figured out the finer nuances of adjusting to specific players because if, if that's Garrett Temple up there, that's fine because Temple's not a natural three-point shooter. He's, he's had a, a very good season shooting the three, but if you're going to stand out that far, Temple comes off it, he can go make something happen to the hole. But Caspi's specifically trying to shoot a three, and the spacing is so bad at the top of the key. It's not even inside. And they just, they have not figured out where to be on every position, uh, possession. And if I'm if I'm Caspi, I go over and I just say, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you just take two steps towards the free throw line when I come in? And let's just give it a shot and see what happens. But it's just really hard to do. It's it's hard to do for these guys on the fly, trying to adjust, trying to have conversations, trying to pull together on the defensive side where their their rotations are either spectacular or absolutely off. Um, you know, again, we talked about all the 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 guards going under the screens against uh, against Memphis as opposed to over the screen. If you're going to go under the screen, you need the the big to show on the three-point, on the three-pointer shooter. And that's just not happening. And so that it's another issue that this team is just dealing with. And I know a lot of that is residual from last year where they were told don't show it all on the three-pointer. But you can't let a team like Memphis go off and hit 17 threes. I mean, Jamichael Green, what, four or five from three. You just can't keep doing that. You have to make adjustments. And that's what, I mean, certain well, nights I see you know, a nice chess match and other nights I see chess and checkers and, and frustration and all of that. This team is still trying to figure it all out. They, they look a lot better when they throw it into the post. That's really all I can say offensively um, against Minnesota. They, they've almost pitched a perfect game in that game. 
And I was I was like, I don't even know who this team is. I mean, just hitting every single read and taking care of everything. It was that was a one one thing to see. And then the very next game, they got lulled into a street ball game. And then it's uh it's just something I think that this push and pull of DeMarcus Cousins as a, a floor spreading stretch five, which is all in vogue in the NBA these days, it's not everything it's cracked up to be. And I think that he's confused as well. Like, am I supposed to go in and get the rebound? Am I supposed to step out? And, you know, what do I do here? You know, maybe he's not feeling comfortable shooting the three that game. So he's like, OK, I'll, I'll come in here where I'm a little bit more comfortable for, you know, a long two, which everybody's going to roll their eyes at. It's it's. Well, these things, I think that you get Kufus out of that role. I think that things are going to drastically improve for this team. Uh, you know, it's peaks and valleys. And speaking of peaks and valleys, in this um, upcoming stretch of games, you get a Denver team that's been playing better because Nikola Jokic has maybe more backcourt fouling tendencies than DeMarcus Cousins. So so that'll be a fun watch as the two of them hack each other 90 feet away from the hoop. <laughs> but he's uh that's a they're they're playing better because Jokic is in the starting lineup. That's going to be a tough game, but they're going to catch a little bit of a break maybe cuz Hassan Whiteside didn't fly for the road trip, neither did Justice Winslow. Whiteside's eye uh couldn't take the flight, so he might miss that Wednesday game. They're really thin. I mean, if they're missing Whiteside, that's going to be real tough for them to have anybody to cover DeMarcus Cousins. And if even, they don't throw it on the post. Even with those two, they were really light. That's not a great team. I mean, last time they, the Kings played them, Udonis you, Haslam played big minutes. But you know what's weird about that? And, and who knows? That will actually be a test for can the Kings take care of business when you've got an undersized center situation because really there's nobody in the NBA that can cover, you know, short of like Marcus Gasol and a couple others that can cover DeMarcus Cousins in the post. It should be a foul and or open three every single time down the floor. They'll have Willie Reed. They'll have Udonis Haslam. It will, who knows if Hassan will be able to fly in the next 24 hours or not. But anyway, Miami's going to be a really easy win. It should be. And then you get LA who might not have Chris Paul and they don't have Blake Griffin. They're really banged up. They're struggling. You know, will will they be able to make it out of these next four games where if you'd previously looked at the schedule, you'd say that's, you know, that's an interesting little four game run. You got two mid tier teams that are overperforming and then two big name teams that, you know, you would expect to lose against. If they can come out of that two and two with the arrow pointing up, they might survive this little this little uh, seven game I don't know. Seven we would call, it a, tough, call <laughs> it a tough, tough, tough homestand. I don't know. Well, it's Oklahoma eight, it's City's eight right? All. Yeah, it's eight games uh, starting with Denver, but then it's the Denver game and then a seven-game homestand. And it's it's tough. It's a tough – I mean, what, you get Golden State and the Cavs, right? Yeah, you got the Cavs in there, and, and that's going to be a tough – Detroit will play strong. You know, Detroit is John, horrible. I mean, Detroit, it, really, they've fallen off big time. I think they're two and they, five they over the last just, seven. They just figured it out just about a game ago, and and they'll they'll be a little bit better. They had to reintroduce Reggie Jackson, and that really threw everything out of whack. That's but, been brutal you know, for them. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough stretch. I'm gonna I'll say this: it's a tough stretch. I think from now until that second Cleveland game, and then maybe it lets up a little bit after that. But they're in this fight. They, they've got something to play for. The eight seed is theirs as of right now. I haven't thought they've been out of more than like two or three games this year. And, and the, the, I think if they optimize their lineups and, and stop looking at gift horse in the mouth, you have a starting shooting guard, Sacramento. Use him. Aaron Bruski is, is hot on Garrett Temple. Hot. He is the new Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> or Willie Call. You come on, guys. On, you were hot on Willie last year, too. Uh, I, yeah. I, I hate to say it, but Willie has fallen on hard times, and I don't know how he recovers. He, he really I, I don't know about Willie. I, 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 he, he looks as lost as anybody I've seen. And systems, man, systems, they matter. Omri, systems, you know. I, it, systems can make or break a player. That's definitely hurt Willie Cauley-Stein, and, and he needs to find a way to impact the game. That's just the bottom line there. I agree. All right, so let's see. What else do we have? Uh, the Pelicans are sneaking up, and they sign Multihunis. Uh, I still don't fear them because they're an injury away from being absolutely atrocious again. And they did this last year, and you thought, oh, here they come. And then they, like, tripped and fell in a hole and was like, where do they go? Uh, Denver, 
Michael Malone, hats off to Michael Malone for doing as much as possible with a really a mixed bag of, of funkiness that is his roster. I don't know how he works through this, um, but they're also, I, I was reading below the salary floor, so they've got plenty of cap space to go out and do something crazy like try to add a, um, a Millsap, although I don't think Atlanta's going to fully give up, They're gonna and they're going to want a boatload. Uh, Portland is banged up, uh, and even when they aren't banged up, as soon as you put Damian Lillard back on that team, they're the worst defensive team in the history. Well, not the history, but they're bad. Uh, <laughs> so, so while you're missing is 25 or 27 points a game, you're not missing the 25 that he gives up every night. Um, so I, I don't know. The Kings are still in a position here to make a run. And uh, their next, I think it's 16 games. So we've got the Denver game followed by seven home games. Seven home game uh, home stand is not easy. But like Aaron said, you do get a, a team like the Clippers who uh, right now are broken. They've lost six straight and and they're limping and they've got a bunch of injuries. If you can stop J.J. Redick in that game, I think the Kings have a great shot. Um, you know, you're going to get... You're going to get the Warriors and have to take your lumps there, but at least it'll be fun. Uh, but then there's the eight-game road trip right after this seven-game homestand. And that eight-game road trip is, if you're three and five on that road trip, you've you've outplayed yourself. You, you've played way above uh, your lot in life. And so, uh, again, this is going to be a tough stretch. If the Kings can just hover and get through this next 16 games and then come out the other side leading up to the All-Star break... I actually do think they've got a chance. They've got to, once again, they got to keep the drama out, which they haven't been able to do. I was writing the other day how many how many players have been involved in some sort of drama already this season or, or dating from you know the summer to where we are right now. The list is ridiculous. I mean, so so many of them have, you know, Aflalo, the, whether or not he, he said he wouldn't go into a game, You've got the Collison situation. You've got Cousins and Barnes. You got Caspi asking, you know, almost asking for a trade early in the season. You've got Ty Lawson and his situation from training camp. I mean, you're looking at eight guys, and I didn't even have to try. That's that's not good. But but you know what's funny? It's kind of like the Cousins technical situation. He's been so much better. And and I think that the drama for the Kings has been like night and day better than previous years. So while there's a ton of drama, you can't you can't say that there hasn't been. It's actually way lower. Um, well, they do. No, they feel I, I like they're in control. I don't think it's way lower, Aaron. I think it's the West. The, the bottom half of the West sucks, and they're in the playoff hunt. So we're willing to look past a lot of the drama. Yeah, because... but you know what? I was thinking about this the other day. They, Like I said earlier, they've been in all these games. They, there has the, the losses from the previous year. I don't know. We'd have to go back and look at it. But oh, they, it's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. They're in every it, single game. And I mean, if you look at their, their defensive ratings, their offensive ratings, they're right there. They're not that far off of, you know, again, I, this is where they should be. I mean, and, and, and I'll even take it one step further. This team should have, and I've said this on this podcast already, it's not big news, but like this team should have four or five more wins, yep. and they are not optimized. They have the two bigs, they got the Temple issue, you got the Matt Barnes issue, and if you want to even say the Ben McLemore issue, McLemore, I mean, these players have an incredible amount of leash that I don't see in other cities, so who hey, knows? I, I got to be honest, I, if I'm the Kings and... I mean, I'm calling the Cavs right now and seeing if they'll they'll give up. You know, you would love a first round pick from the Cavs because the Cavs' first round pick is like 28th or 29th, and a lot of times teams that are that good they don't want the pick anyways because you have to give a low level uh, draft pick a a guaranteed contract. Um, but but getting that pick gives them the ability to at least have something. I would shop him there because I think you instantly see Mac Moore. First of all, he signed with with LeBron's guy, Rich Paul, and he can go right there and and fill in for J.R. Smith and get some minutes, hopefully, and you never know what could happen to his career under different tutelage. Um, but I, I would bail on, on the Ben McMore experience because, in all honesty, I think Malachi can do the job, and if Malachi can't, 
Um, I kind of want to see what Lamar Patterson can do. Who's, oh, yeah. who's absolutely killing it in Reno as a I'm... multi a multi tool player who can handle the ball. Who who's you know he's getting you know five six seven assists a game. He's getting rebounds. Mm-hmm. He's getting steals. He's playing solid defense. His three point shooting is still not great, but he's a versatile player that I think you know if you're gonna. If you're going to keep throwing Ben McLemore out there who really can't handle the ball and can't really pass the ball and all that still at this stage, and you got a guy who's just sitting there for basically free that you could pull up and have on your roster, I, I think I would go that direction, see what you can get for him. You know, Absolutely. we didn't even talk about the Costa Kufis thing. The, the Rockets allegedly are all over the Kings for Costa Kufis. Well, they don't have anything to offer at all. To, to get Costa, I mean, they can offer a first round pick and they can offer Corey Brewer, but Corey Brewer's got two years at seven and a half million. And, you know, he's not an NBA player at this point. And so you're not saving a huge amount of money in that deal at all. And all you would be getting is a first round pick, which again is going to be around 25. So come back and tell me what you got that's better. But I see the Kings getting active here really quickly. And if you're going to move a Kufus, if you're going to move a Ben McLemore, it's going to be to get a draft pick that might be able to get you a better piece if you're dealing, I don't know, a Rudy Gay or, or you know, if you're chasing a Brandon Knight, you might need some draft picks to give to the Phoenix Suns. And that's how you would get them by, by you know, a three-way deal or packaging players up and getting draft picks from teams right now and then moving them in a bigger package to get to get a player that makes sense to you. I see I see the Kings being very active and if they're not they don't have the roster right now to to push for I mean maybe they have it to to push for the 8 but the 7 the 6 those are open positions right now. I mean you got you got a Clippers team that's spiraling. You've got you know other teams that are sitting there that are that just aren't complete teams. You got an opportunity here and if you you know you can break this thing up a little bit and rebuild it at the same time and come out with a different product. I I don't see I don't see where the hurt is in that. I hope Costa doesn't go. I love him. He's one of my favorite people to deal with. Um, but again, if this team can get better, you got to do what you got to do. Sure, I, I agree. I think everything you said there. Um, the the Patterson thing. I, I'm a Patterson guy. I think he could come in and and be a nice little piece. But at the same time, I don't I don't know. I think you just see what you got with Malachi. And, and, and roll with it. Um, you know, Ben Cleveland, that seems like a gimme. Um, you know, you would think it would have already happened if they, um, if there was any traction there, unfortunately, even if, even if it's a second round pick at this point, I, I think it's worth it to clear out the roster spot and to, to do what you got to do. These teams got to stop waiting for the trade deadline. I mean, looking at what's happening with Ben's minutes and the impact it's having on the floor and what it does to the organization as a whole, no, nothing against Ben here, you know, but he, that you cannot, put the brakes on in hopes of getting a better deal, you know, six weeks from now or whatever. So hopefully they get it all figured out. I don't think the Kings can play without Costa Kufos right now. And I would love to see the look on Dave Yeager's face. If you said, Hey, we're getting rid of Costa for, you know, second round, first round pick, something like that. He probably would have a fit right now knowing that he can't use him in the too big lineup. Um, I've been told that that's part of the, the issue, like walking into Dave Yeager's office and saying, Hey, you know, we've got <laughs> we've got an offer for Costa and him looking at you back and saying, Are you getting me a player? Are you getting me are you are you cutting my legs out? Because again, Jaeger has not shown faith in in Willie Cauley Stein at all. And so if you're not getting a player back, I, again I hate saying that I hate throwing this in at the end of the podcast. This is why I would have gone and got Greg Monroe at the beginning of the season, like what we talked about. I think Greg Monroe, if you had him, it's not the same type of big. It's a different big that him and DeMarcus can be interchangeable for stents where you can run the offense through it. That's the biggest problem I see with this this Kings team right now is that DeMarcus Cousins is their everything and they don't have another big on the roster that can do anything close to what he can do. They're different styles of player. That's not an indictment on Costa Kufis. Costa Kufis is very specific in what he does. He's a hard-nosed defender. He's a good rim runner. He's a, a, a rebounder. 
he's a scrapper. Uh, Willie Cauley Stein is an athlete, athletic guy who can who can rim run. You just don't have someone else to run the offense through, and I think that's that's why we're seeing Matt Barnes play major minutes. It's I mean even Anthony Tolliver can't step out and run the offense. You should have got a second big to start running the offense through, like what Dave had in Memphis with Zach Randolph. Just because you put two bigs out there doesn't mean that you put Zach Randolph and Marcus Hall out there. You got one of those guys. You don't have the other. And again, it's it's not an indictment on Costa. It's just his style of play. Let me throw. I'll throw out my final thought. My final thought is part of coaching is adapting to your personnel, and so maybe we shouldn't rely on 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 a system if if, if that's if that's the ideal. You know, if, if the Greg Popoviches of the world are able to turn the San Antonio Spurs into an up tempo team. I'd like to see more versatility out of the Kings offense where you recognize personnel. DeMarcus Cousins, you want to run it through the post. That's a very smart idea. You want to run with him outside and spread the floor. That can also work. If you want to have Costa Kufus in as your center, you go to a heavy pick and roll offense or something similar. It's this kind of the slowness of the development of the system where it morphs to the personnel on the floor and that could still happen. I think this this Kings team optimized can be a middle-of-the-road team in the Western Conference anywhere from six to out of the playoffs. But they can be a 500 team, and, and I wouldn't put it past them to do that still. I still feel pretty good about the 44-win pr- uh, prediction. It's uh, got to be optimized, though, and you've got to look at the personnel on the floor. You can't run offense through Willie Cauley-Snein. As much as you would like to keep the system in place, you just can't do it. It's not Willie's game. Willie's a pick-and-roll guy, so on and so forth. Happy New Year, everybody in Sacramento. That's my final thought. There it is, Aaron's final thought. That and uh, he's having I Love Garrett Temple t-shirts made. He'll be selling them at uh, at hoopdashball.com. Uh, I will, but but they'll probably be for another team. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. He's under a three-year, $24 million deal. I don't think the Kings are letting that guy go anywhere uh, unless somehow someone in Minnesota decides some, to do something really stupid like offer up Zach Levine, who, my goodness, that, oh, dude, he, that dude is becoming a super— I'm telling you, he's Russell Westbrook with—you know, oh. he's like a kinder, gentler Russell Westbrook. Oh, he's so clean from deep. You just watch him rise up. Rise up, young man! I I can't believe I did not see that happening. I thought they got to move. They got to move Andrew Wiggins. That's Ah. the only answer for them. And and Chris Dunn's not ready. They ain't moving Ricky Rubio. And Ricky Rubio is not somebody Kings fans should be getting all hot and bothered over. No one should want Ricky Rubio and his thirty six percent field goal percentage. And we won't blame Ricky Rubio for being Ricky Rubio. Okay, so James's final thoughts. Uh, Number one. Congratulations. If you're listening to the podcast, you didn't do anything stupid on New Year's and you survived 2016, unlike so many others. Um, So congratulations. We're now in 2017 where who knows what will happen. Um, We found ourselves in some strange times, Um, but the Kings are still in the eighth spot. Uh, You never know what's going to happen with this team if they can avoid the, the emotional peaks and valleys they got a shot. You telling me they got a shot? They, there's a chance, Aaron. There's a chance. All right, <laughs> so that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast, brought to you by Max Muscle. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. We will see you very soon. 